whole and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 10th episode of Polcast. In this episode, we'll tell you about a very special connection between a book and a unique album by a world class Polish jazz pianist. How a Paul played a huge role on the road to the smartwatches of today. And how a family of circus artists brought up an actor who has acted in five languages and theatres in many countries, including the Royal Shakespeare Company. This is another story of a student in Ivona Malinowski's School of the Polish Language for Adults near Toronto. James is Korean, married to a Pole. They live in Toronto with strong ties to the local Polish community. So the reason I am learning Polish is Olivia, my daughter, and I uh, have another new uh, nine-week-old at, at home now. Uh, we were all... Uh, just kind of gallivanting around the world and I was stationed in Japan with the US Air Force and my wife was uh, teaching in Japan with um, the uh, like an exchange program and we met there and kind of decided to come back here and so uh, fast forward several years later and now there's four of us and it's uh, it's been a wild ride just uh, kind of crazy every time I think about it, like how could we have gotten here? Both of us were ready to just kind of live our own free lives and we decided, you know what, we want to be together and we're just going to you know, commit to coming here. Uh, and um, in this community where her, her parents live, we, you know, we just pretty much endorse the, the way of life here and as myself, of course, as well. And uh, we are definitely happy in this Polish community and um, it's just been... Uh, wonderful adopting the cultures and and for for uh, my wife as well too learning about the different uh, korean uh, aspects we have our um, our daughter's 100 day anniversary coming up which is a very big uh, in the korean culture because due to the child survival rate as from a long time ago how old is olivia that's going to be three uh this in in may the fact that she speaks polish is or thanks to you but it's mama mama and babcha In our last episode, you met Adam Makowicz, a famous Polish jazz pianist and composer living and working in Toronto and New York. Today he talks to us about the essence of jazz music, improvisation, of which he is a rare master. Improvisation it is a composition which is made uh, right on the front of the audience. And at the same time, you perform, you uh, compose, 
and you play this music. So you develop your own uh, language or uh, unique sound. It doesn't matter what instrument you play. Each uh, jazz musician play trumpet, saxophone, and piano, uh, produce different kind of sound. However, they use the same uh, instruments. And uh, for example, um, when Oscar Peterson start playing, first few bars you listen to is Oscar Peterson. We improvise pop songs usually, popular songs that people can recognize what we are playing. We can communicate uh, much easier with uh, popular songs with the audience because this is communication. Music is like we don't talk, we don't speak to them, but we play to them. But this is uh, not much difference. Speaking, you have to have some idea what you are going to speak to the audience. And uh, uh, what you use, what words you're going to use, it depends on how audience will react yeah. and understand what you're saying. It's exactly the same in music. We know what we are going to play, popular songs, but how... Then it happened on the stage. It depends on piano and, and also how audience react. So each, so each performance is different. Exactly. You have very strong connections with Poland now. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, part of it is because Chopin is your favorite composer. There's so much Chopin yes. everywhere in, mm -hmm. around Makovic. Well, uh, I grew up with Chopin music, so the music is implanted to me. My parents did it, so blame them. <laughs> Polish jazz musicians, when they improvise, they uh, implant or they integrate uh, some Polish music from folk, Polish folk music, or uh, from uh, classical, Polish classical music, uh, particularly from Chopin. Chopin is a romantic, beautiful melodies, very easy to improvise. Uh, Chopin is, was, uh, from classical composers, the most easiest uh, for me to adopt into jazz idioms. It's a, he was improviser. Right. This is all improvisation, only that he put down the music. He wanted to write down that next generation could play it. That time was no recordings. They couldn't record what, what he did many times, playing, you know, night with friends, with a, a, a list, uh, and, uh, surrounded by friends, little wine, right? And he played. And then next day, he just remembered how he played. He enjoyed that's what he did last night. And he put it down and, and sent to Vienna to, uh, uh, to, to print it. I like not only Chopin, but recently I never liked it in school, Bach, for instance. But when uh, they forced me to do something with Bach, I was skeptical from the beginning. But then I, I started to think about it, and I found a lot of useful things. What Bach did, it, I tried to, to do uh, the same way, but playing jazz, of course, it's different music, 300 years, yeah, between Bach when he was alive and then uh, played and composed, and the jazz, jazz 100 years old, a little over 100 years old, so new music. But anyway, uh, Bach uh, uh, taught me that uh, we could improvise, we could use both hands. To prefer, not only right hand, but usually just pianist. Right hand is playing melody, and left hand chord. But I treat piano as a band. 
I don't need bass player and I don't need the drums because I can do the same. We have two hands, the, uh, ten fingers, uh, we can do by ourselves. And Bach uh, stretched my imagination about about the uh, polyphonic way of playing using both hands. That's the book, 400 Years of Polish Immigrants in America, 1608-2008. This is iconic album. Okay. Right? Because it talks about iconic uh, Polish immigrants who uh, who left their imprints on uh, on the great country that the United States is, and um, the book starts with Kościuszko through Pułaski, through um, Modieska, and then there are many many other fantastic brains, scientists, uh, medical doctors. Um, among them, among them is is a gentleman who had um, uh, discovered polio vaccine, <laughs> Polanski, um, Ursula Dujak, our great artist, uh, jazz singer, um, Głowacki, Zbigniew Brzeziński. They are people who are very well known in the States, who had done some uh, great things. Among them is uh, Ignacy Jan Paderewski, and uh, Adam Makovic is there, and Richard Horowitz. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because there was a project done actually here in Toronto. The Briante, the Adam Makovic Chopin project. We got uh, hands on um, uh, Ignacy Paderewski 1920 and 1921 recordings of Chopin. I've purchased the rights. The whole concept is that Paderewski is playing his Chopin, which was, of course, digitally cleared uh, in Switzerland, etc. So you will not notice the difference even. And we found a piano, um, Kawaii, Korean, huge, beautiful piano in one of the recording studios here that sounds very uh, near to the sound of the piano that Paderewski was playing. So Paderewski was playing... Uh, When he finishes with the last note, Adam is taking over and he plays the same thing in the jazz idiom.
and uh, and then the cover of that uh, of that CD um, was designed and the concept of another fabulous artist uh, photographer, Richard Horowitz, who is also in this book. So there is a connection. Unfortunately, Chopin is not in that book, but Chopin doesn't have to be in any book because he stands out on his own. There were two of them with almost rhyming names, Patek and Chapek. What a duo. On May 1st, 1839 in Geneva, Antoni Patek, together with another Polish immigrant, who in fact was of Czech descent, the gifted Warsaw watchmaker Franciszek Chapek established their shop producing watches. The small company Patek, Chapek and Company, which employed a half dozen workmen, produced approximately 200 watches uh, per year. The few preserved specimens make it possible to note the degree of perfection of these first watches, result of a successful union between the artistic and the technical skills. They separated in 1844, and in 1845 Patek joined forces with the French watchmaker Adrien Philippe, inventor of the keyless winding mechanism. Their empire, Patek Philippe, and company was founded in 1851. Patek and Philippe pioneered the perpetual calendar, split second hand, chronograph and minute repeater in watches. What is a minute repeater? It's actually an ingenious mechanism that chimes the time on demand, every hour but also up to every minute. Originating before widespread use of electricity, it allowed to know the time in the dark it was also used by the visually impaired. Even back in the 1930s, there were sort of smartwatches, as they had over 20 different functions. In 1989, Patek created one of the most complicated mechanical watches ever made, the Caliber 89, created for the 150th anniversary of the company. It had 39 functions, including the date of Easter, time of sunrise, it added a day to February for leap years while leaving out the extra day for every 100-year interval. Patek watches are one of the most prestigious watch brands, worn by the world royals and celebrities. So, they cost a mint. How much? Well, in 2010, the most expensive watch to ever be sold at an auction was a Patek, and it was purchased by a Swiss museum for 5.5 million US dollars. It was made in 1943. So I think I'll pass. My iPhone is enough with its numerous functions that I don't even know exist. Bartek Soroczyński was born into a circus family in Poland. After the family immigrated to Canada, he trained as a circus artist and eventually got a leading part in a beautiful circus theater show, Nomad, produced in Montreal, where he lived. Fast forward a dozen years, and Bartek is now an accomplished theater actor, playing in several languages in many countries, including the notoriously inaccessible to foreigners England and its creme de la creme, the Royal Shakespeare Company. We met in Toronto when you were 
playing the leading part in a spectacular show, Nomad, with Cirque Luaz, and which toured the world, I understand, got a lot of awards. Being part of that show was my first professional experience as a young artist, performer, actor, and it had a huge impact on on who I was, traveling the world, etc. In that show, you were both an actor and a circus uh, artist. Well, I was born into a circus family. Uh, both of my parents were traditional circus performers. We toured uh, Italy for three years together, and I, I started, and then we immigrated to Canada in 1983, and I began to train with my parents. I would perform with the circus troupe that I was part of, that my dad created. The circus uh, led you to the theater, right? So I went to the National Circus School, as you know, for three years, studied there, then I was part of Nomad. That was directed by a man who was, who, who is an actor and, and, and a um, writer, a playwright, and also a theater director. And this man, he kind of initiated me further into, into uh, acting. Uh, Daniele Finzi Pasca, and I fell in love with, 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 with acting. Before that, I'd, al I'd also studied clowning at, at the circus school. I promised myself that when I, when I stopped performing with Nomad, I would dedicate myself to, to, to wanting to be an actor. From there, you got into a Shakespeare company. How, yeah. how did you find your way there? I basically, after Nomad, I was in Argentina. I studied acting in Argentina. I lived there for four years on and off. I then did a workshop in, in, in Montreal with a man named uh, Marc Zamit, who had his own theater company in Paris. He then invited me to be part of his company for two plays in Paris. This is 2007, I think. I then met Irina Brook, uh, who, had her, who has her own company, the Irina Brook Theater Company. She's the daughter of Peter Brook. She has a similar way of thinking as her father does, working a lot with foreigners, Uh, in different languages sometimes. She's very open, which is... And she's based in Paris, and that is quite unusual for Paris because Paris is a very closed-down society. So as a foreigner in Paris, I was very lucky because I, I, I met that woman, and she made me work for four years. In the meantime, I did a workshop in England with a man from a famous company called Complicité, Marcello Mani, and he invited me to be part of uh, a play he did With, uh, with him, with uh, Catherine Hunter, who's quite known, in the, well, very known in the theater world in England. And following that, I, made, I met an agent in, 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 in England, and then I was seen by people from the Royal Shakespeare Company, and that's how I ended up in the Royal Shakespeare Company, playing Dr. Caius in The Merry Wives of Windsor. And I was, yes, it's, it is quite unbelievable, because I was the only uh, foreigner within a group of over 20 actors it was it was overwhelming to, to come on that stage for the first time and you go wow this is a historical place so many uh, uh, immense actors and actresses have, have performed there um, a lot of prestige so it was quite it was very beautiful for me to do that and I have extraordinary memories Now, the interesting thing, of course, is that you have performed and you have acted in theaters really all around the world in so many countries, which means using so many languages. I've actually read that now you play in the Swiss theaters in German without knowing it. How, how does that work? I mean, do you have that incredible memory? How it works is basically you have to be courageous enough to go on a stage without knowing the language. 
um, which is, I think it's a psychological, psychological thing more than anything. As an actor, it's a beautiful challenge. I, because I'm very much in love with, 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 with words and with, with, with language. And basically the way I did it was learning everything phonetically. First by sound, and then you have to understand what you're saying word for word. So you have to understand what goes where and why it's there. So it's, it's a beautiful process. It takes a hell of a lot of work. But this was very special to me, and I was, I was, I was, I felt privileged because I was there with with these amazing, thoroughly trained, um, experienced uh, Stadttheater, the, the house theater. They have they have actors there that are there for 15, 20 years. You know, these are amazing professionals, and me not even speaking language, and being accepted and being feeling part of this this group, this group of actors was extraordinary. So this was in St. Gallen. This is northeast Switzerland. How many languages do you know? Well, I know four. English, Polish, French, Spanish, and potentially German. What's the plan, Bartek? Well, the plan is, the reason I've been, I've been moving around so much is because it's very difficult to work as an actor. Even though you're successful once doesn't mean you will be. I, I'm using all, all of the, the tools I have. If I know French and someone offers me a job in France, well, I'll go. They did this in Switzerland, so I came to Switzerland. Um, I'm going to be working in, in the UK again uh, from September. So, you know, and Europe is, is beautiful because it's small. It takes you, what, a few hours to fly from one capital to the next. I, I love the fact that I can go and play in one language and, and travel from one country to the next and discover that culture. And in terms of how the theater works, because obviously every place is different, right? And I'm sure there's also some cultural aspects to the way that theaters are organized, theater world works in a particular countries. Which of those models fits you the best? Each, each society has a way of financing the arts, and that brings certain institutions. For example, in the German-speaking countries, you have theaters that have, as I mentioned before, groups of actors um, permanently hired there. That doesn't exist in France or in, in the UK. It does exist, I think, in, the, in, in Poland and in, in the Eastern European countries that they still have that. That's tradition there, too. And that's very valuable because the actors get to know each other. They get to work with each other for a long time. To, 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 they, they establish relationships, director-actor relationships, because potent, they, they, have, they can have more time. So I think that model is very interesting for an, a young artist, a young actor. Looking at these countries, would you be able to say that in some of them there is more appreciation of theater than in others? Or do you feel the same kind of interest, the same kind of passion on the part of the audience and people who see you? I think in all the countries I've worked with, it's, it's, it's very important in a way. You know, it's very popular. People go to the theater. I, I think theater is more part of British society than it is of Canadian society. You know, there's much more theater. I think the same thing goes on in France and in, I mean, in, in Switzerland. There's a lot of funding for the arts in the German-speaking countries, I think especially in Germany. You've just been to Poland. Does that mean you worked yeah. in Poland? Do you have theater connections in Poland? No, I was there for family reasons, but I, I do have theater connections in Poland as well. And that's another dream of mine, to work once with a Polish, Polish director, you know, in film or in theater. 
Did you think that the circus past and the fact that you come from a circus family, circus was always traveling and going places, right? Do you think that might have made you this traveling actor? It's a very magical thing to say. I don't know. It's just maybe what what I what I got from them was the the, the performance bug. You know, that's what I got from my my parents. I love to perform. I love to be on stage. It's something that I crave, and you know, it's like it's my 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 love. I think my what my parents gave me was this, you know, this this infinite curiosity about discovering and learning and just letting me go. You know, I think and I'm very grateful for that because they never really tell, tell, said uh, no, don't go. They always said go, discover, try, be free. You know, and I think that's that was a beautiful gift that they gave me. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. It's a call of a żubr, bison, which we mentioned a few episodes back. The European bison, żubr, is the heaviest surviving wild land animal in Europe. European bison is slightly lighter in body mass, yet taller at the shoulder than the American bison. Back in the early 20th century, European bison were hunted to extinction in the wild. The last wild animals were shot in the Białowieża forest in 1921. In 1923, it was known that only 54 bison survived in zoos all around the world, none of them in Poland. In 1929, a small herd of four was bought by the Polish government from various zoos. The first calf was born the following year. Beginning in 1951, the European bison have been reintroduced into the wild. Now the free-ranging herds are currently found in Poland, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, Romania, Russia, Slovakia, Latvia. Herds have also been introduced in other countries, including Spain and Denmark. And they all sound the same. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen. Think, guess, where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound, and what is it? listening to the 10th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by 
Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. In our next episode, we'll tell you what city you should definitely visit in Poland and what a unique place you will find there. How a Canadian-Polish vocalist has become a star in Poland, the country she left as a child. More about Polish food and language. How a kind of restaurant that all Poles know and like would make no sense in English. And we leave you with Adam Makowicz's interpretation of a famous Chopin's song that was an inspiration for all our jingles. 